Welcome to QTalks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. I'm Thomas. And I'm Shreya. And we're your hosts for QTalks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not so typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This week on Q Talks, we are continuing our special series on female founders. We are talking to Ursita Gotham, co-founder of Revive Innovations. Revive is creating compact devices for emergency trucks and has created a patent-pending adrenaline auto-injector that is about half the size of available devices and incorporates design features for better performance. We're very excited to welcome Ursita. Hi, Urshita. Thanks for coming on the show with us today. Hi. <laughs> if you can start with uh, giving us an overview of your background. I did my undergrad in India in architecture. And then I worked for two years as a user researcher for uh, multinational companies doing user research for smart city projects. And then I decided to pursue my MA. So I came to the Ro and attended the Royal College of Art which is where Revive was born. Great. And so uh, you mentioned Revive. So why don't you tell us a bit about what Revive Innovations is and how the team came together? Revive Innovations is a very, very young medtech startup. And we are trying to develop better devices, which are more patient-centric for self-administering emergency drugs or and eventually graduating to developing devices for drugs that have more regular use, like for insulin or uh, even for some medication for rheumatoid arthritis. So the Royal College of Art has these uh, blocks in the school year, which is called Across RCA, where we do uh, projects with people from other pro programs to encourage a more multidisciplinary approach to design. And the question that me and my co-founder Abhishek started with was uh, the importance of user profiles when you're generating design for mass consumption, especially medical products. And we found that auto-injectors, which a lot of people commonly call the EpiPen or Emrid, which people with allergies use in case they go into severe allergic shock, Uh, the user profile for the EpiPen, for example, which is the most used auto-injector on the market, was created during World War II. And the user profile that was generated for that was of a young, healthy man who is under the age of probably 25 because he was being enlisted in the army at that time. And we found that As technology has advanced, that basic fundamentals of the original auto-injector design have not changed. Something we were very interested in was the needle length of the device, which is somewhere between 13mm to 16mm. And that was also designed for a 25-year-old man, which means he is below 60 kgs and he has a certain a very minimized level of fat on his thighs, which is where the injection is supposed to go. Uh, 
and we were just wondering if that user profile needed to be updated and we discovered that obviously it does but not only that it does but it is severely lacking anyone who is above 60 kgs needs a longer needle length and especially women the epipen was found in a lot of studies that 30% of the women were not getting an intramuscular injection and that obviously affected their morbidity rate from anaphylaxis and that's where we started so abhishek and i started creating newer user profiles for what the patient might need in the device and somehow the design got selected for a patent review by the college which the college sponsored and we finally incorporated and joined the royal college of art incubator which is innovation or ca which is where we are right now um that's very cool uh because you're an art student i can imagine designing a, a medical product might be quite a challenge so how how did you go about this process my art education was something i actively chose especially after doing architecture which was very heavily design oriented uh in design you always talk about having a multidisciplinary approach but it's like no one specifies how you go about that is it just about like experience or do you actively include that in your education art for me is very purposefully emotional and i feel like in user centric design especially every handle that you design every, the way you grip the product it needs to be intentional and purposeful and it needs to connect with the user at an emotional level because that's the only way they'll stick with it and compliance especially in medical products is a very necessary aspect so the fact that it's not included in the design of it right at the beginning was something we found really confusing and medical products go through a lot of regulatory testing by the FDA in the US the CE in Europe and they do an excellent job in making sure that the device is safe for use so i feel like the responsibility of making sure that the emotional needs of the patient are met is something that always lies with the designer and when we were doing our user research we started with doing something which we call the love letter and the breakup letter which is where the user writes a letter about everything the, to the device about everything they love about the device and also writes a secondary letter where they write all the reasons they would break up with it and go for someone else and that's where we started and i feel like all those layers that come into creating that narrative and context around the product is something having an art background makes easy because when you have an art education the emotional state of anything is almost becomes intuitive for you so i do think it made it easier to be empathetic to people's reasons to not carry something that will save their life which is something you could almost ridicule them for instead 
I think it's really interesting you have mentioned about creating these user profiles and a very user-centric design. And it's not something that uh, we've talked about much here on the podcast, but it it sounds like you've said, it seems to be an obvious thing that people are missing or have missed in the past for designing medical devices. Um, And I'm just trying to imagine if... um, other medical device founders are trying to create this user-centered design um, and uh, part of it is creating these user profiles. What are some methods that they can use to actually come up with these? Because uh, the ideas sound great, but tangibly, what are some of the things that you, or steps that you suggest for people to implement this? Every product is different. And it's also like, you have to remember that every product is at a different stage. So at the stage that you are intervening and doing a user study becomes very, very uh, relevant to the kind of process you use. A general principle I like to keep in mind always is having one study at least which which looks into what people say and another study which looks into what people actually do. Because the perfect user, in my mind, especially when it comes to a medical device, is someone who does what they say. So if they're saying that they're going to do the full round of antibiotics, they do it and they don't skip that last day because they're feeling better. Or when it comes to our product, which is the auto-injector, it is really strange, but most fatalities occur because people willingly risk not carrying their auto-injector with them because it's like, oh, I'm just going to the corner shop, nothing is going to happen and it's just like a five-minute trip. I don't need to carry it for that, whereas you're supposed to carry it all the time. Something I like to use is doing a usability study and doing a field study simultaneously. And this is the tricky part because when you're forming your initial surveys or questionnaires, your objective is to make sure that the user finishes the questionnaire and doesn't leave halfway through. So you try to make it easy and something like, okay, only five questions so that people get through it and things like that. But I think it's important to follow up with a questionnaire because that first round of feedback that you will get will mostly be people expressing frustration and essentially just using that as a forum to vent. And if you follow up with them on the questions that were asked, but in a more specific manner, rather than saying that, oh, would you use this device? Uh, You become more specific and ask the question as, would you use this device if it was smaller? Would you use this device if it had a longer needle length? And start, basically create a funnel and start reaching a very specific point as to what your value proposition is going to be when you design. And then once you've uh, established your user profiles through these questionnaires um, and creating that picture of uh, the perfect user who does what they says how do you then feed that into the design the product design well they have to be prioritized because as a startup and any other medical startup will i'm sure concur with this is that you have very limited resources like right at the beginning so and even in that list that you've generated of user needs and what needs to be addressed there is a hierarchy there it's like okay those top three if say you have six needs that need to be met there are going to be a top three where those are like the obvious pressure points and everything else are just kinks in the design so if you take those top three you direct your resources towards that 
you'll have a minimal viable product and you haven't wasted a lot of resources and the kinks can be worked out through the process. And obviously you have to keep going back. Distribute your product development map into different sections where you have milestones that you set and you go back and test those milestones. And those don't have to be huge user groups. You can continue with like, okay, 20 tested it at this stage, then 20 tested it at a later stage and you keep going back and forth. And the product development map keeps moving that way. So maybe we can talk a bit more about this product development map, because I think it's quite an interesting concept, especially for um, a lot of startups trying to be fast paced or agile, um, as well as create a robust product design. Uh, So how do you manage the balance between um, doing iterations and getting your product out there fast, uh, but also making sure that it's the best that it can be? Well, we didn't look at the regulatory framework right at the beginning when we started this project because we never imagined or even set out for this to become a commercial enterprise. So we were very single-minded. It Oh, this is what the new users need and that's how we are going to respond. So at that point, the product development map was just an idea that was being fleshed out. Something I would really recommend for people is to just look at that regulatory framework, even if it's something that you're doing in school as a project, because it really helps you decide which user tests are necessary. Every regulatory framework comes with a set of ISO standards, and there are certain tests in there that are just required if you're going to make it to market. So in that, if you've just done other testing around it, you're suddenly going to realize that, oh, we have to like respond to this regulatory body and that's going to really, really slow down your product development map because you're going to have to redo everything all over again because it needs to be set in the templates that they have suggested or be conducted or if you're doing lab tests, they have to be conducted by notified bodies which the regulatory bodies recognize. If you have those in place, any other research you do adds to it rather than becoming a hindrance in your development map, especially when you're trying to get to market quickly, which for a medical product, if you're like ours, which is a class three medical device, that's a minimum three years to market because you have to go through your CE mark testing. You have to do a small batch manufacturer before that so that you know that you're ready for CE mark testing. And it's just just respect whatever the regulatory bodies recommend and adhere to it as soon as possible and do the testing according to that framework. Fab, I think uh, it's been really interesting to hear about the user-centered design approach and uh, tying that into the product development. Um, You've talked about the uh, regulatory frameworks. I'm quite interested as you're a an early stage um, med med tech startup, what has been your approach to um, looking at those regulatory frameworks? Have you looked just in the UK or have you looked global in order to set yourself up for the long-term future? What what has been your approach um, as an early stage startup? Well, we have applied for a global patent. So obviously looking at the global regulatory frameworks in different countries. We split that up into, according to our markets, so it was the USA, Europe, and uh, Australia and Canada. 
that meant it that comes under three uh regulatory frameworks which is the FDA the CE and there is something called the MDSAP which is a overarching medical framework of five countries i think it's australia canada japan brazil and new zealand and uh, that basically means that if you get the regulatory framework in one of those countries doing it in any of the other four becomes much easier it's almost like the ce mark is for the eu we obviously want to start with the eu by 2025 there is a prediction that 50% of the eu population will suffer from chronic allergies so it's a very open market and it is something that needs intervention very quickly because most of these products come from the states because auto injectors have been in use in the states for a longer time so there is a inherent trust in them the way we decided to tackle it well one the regulatory framework said like it is required that you have either if you're if you're an old company you have someone you have a department where people where the head of the department has at least 10 years of experience in regulatory protocol and if you're an SME or like a startup uh you need to contract it out that's just a requirement for the thing we have contracted it out to a company in Switzerland and which essentially means that we send them our designs and they tell us that uh, this is working this is not going to go through protocol or this is a list of tests you need to do to get it through something that would be beneficial for your like regulatory process if you are not in a position to hire someone yet is just documenting every stage of your design because that is something regulatory bodies will look at where you started what changes you made and why you made them so if you could just start documenting that even if you feel that you're not ready for a proper clinical protocol to be in place that is definitely like the best place to start i i think it's quite apparent that you've given this all a great deal of thought uh one question i have is about the business Uh, of what you're doing. So I think we have talked about approaching this from an artist's perspective and we have talked about the medical and the regulatory framework in in which you do that. But of course, it also needs to be an, an attractive and a sustainable business. So what sense do you have about that and what approach did you follow before embarking full-time on this? Well, the dream is obviously to be able to set up your own manufacturing and completely be integrated in delivering the product as far as precedence is set most auto injectors work which have made it to market have done it on a licensing deal so for now till we don't have all our manufacturing supply chain in place that is something we are open to the emred was licensed by a swedish company i think to borschenlomb and even the epipen was originally uh, owned by a german company i think and then it went to pfizer which made a licensing deal with mylan for it so the there is a very like steady roadmap in terms of what kind of business model the company follows one is licensing or you can do what jex did which is another one of our competitors which is owned by alk bello which they're integrated within they own everything 
and they are the ones who distribute and manufacture it. But surprisingly, ALK Abello also um, made a licensing deal with another company. So they're, I think, looking to switch out their auto injector, which is also really strange because there are a lot of big pharma companies who are in the auto injector space who end up licensing multiple auto injectors, which potentially could compete with each other, but just place them in different places for um, different drugs. So as far as our business model goes, licensing seems to be the most likely. Depending on our sources, our investing rounds, sure, maybe if we can do a manufacturing and distribution within our company, that would be great too. But yes, our priority right now is licensing. I would just say that it's important to not get overwhelmed with the process. If you're going to do a medical device, as you go up in like the higher grades of medical devices, it can seem very overwhelming because the person who's in the incubator with you will be doing a tech product and that's going to get ready to go to market in like a year's time and it might feel like you're falling behind but this is the time the process takes and most people who run medtech companies do it because there's an issue there that they want to solve and the time that it takes is simply to make sure that people who finally use the product are protected so it's the same cause. The regulatory bodies are trying to do the same thing you're trying to do, which is like help people. So you just have to be patient and just go through the motions. Fantastic. Great advice to end on. Thank you so much, Urshita, for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks very much to Urshita for joining us on Q Talks. This podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. And we'd also like to say a big thank you to the team at QTech who have been working hard behind the scenes. Thank you very much for listening. And please do go ahead and rate us or leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme, or tell us about your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks.